Have you ever had a moment when something completely unexpected, um, but really, really good happens to you? I had an opportunity last year uh, to give my son, Ethan, uh, he was nine at the time, to give him an opportunity to experience something completely unexpected. Uh, my father-in-law uh, up in Chicago won at his alma mater, high school alma mater, I went back for this fundraising thing, put it $20 down um, on this silent raffle for Bulls tickets and ended up winning. I think it was rigged. I'm not sure. but um, So my father-in-law calls me up. He says, Chris, you won't believe this. I've got tickets to the Bulls game. Can you bring Ethan up? And I'm like, yeah, no problem. When is it? It's on a Wednesday. Okay, so we've got to get him out of school. But yeah, that's worth it. All right, we're going we're gonna to do that, you know. Um, his teachers will understand. His teachers were like high-fiving him, you know. And like, you're going, but we didn't tell him, all right. So we wanted this to be a surprise. We, had, we didn't drop a hint to him that we were going. Um, and when, when we first got the call that we got tickets, I'm thinking, okay, $20 win at a high school alma mater. These are like nosebleed seats, right? 11 rows from the floor. Derek Rose playing, um, Joakim Noah, all the guys were present playing that night. It was incredible. It was, it was the last game of the regular season last year. And uh, what was funny was, and we, didn't, we honestly did not say anything to Ethan. One morning he comes down about two days before, and he says to mom, getting ready for school, he says, Mom, he said, I had the greatest dream ever last night. And we're like, oh, yeah? You know, she's like, What's, what happened? I dreamt that we went to the last home game of the season. I'm like, my son might have to give a prophecy. I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> We, we went to the last home game of the season. Derek Rose took his jersey off after they won and threw it in the stands, and I got it. And he's like, that was the best dream ever. And Karen tells me this later while I'm at work. I'm like, are you serious? Like, he really had that dream? So the day comes a couple days later, and Karen and I both go to school to pull him out, and he has no clue what's going on. Um, his teacher knows. I've emailed the teacher. I've emailed the principal. And, and um, he, uh, sorry, he, uh, Gets the call, you know, Ethan Jenner's you need to come to the office. He's like, oh, man, I'm in trouble, right? And he comes in, and Mom and I are standing there. He's like, what's going on? Do I have a dentist appointment, doctor's appointment, something? What's going on? I said, oh, we're just going to go. He's like, come on, you grab your stuff, let's go. And uh, I had my phone with me, and I took a little video of telling him outside of the school um, what we were happening, and we have that video for you this morning. We had a blast. Grandma had a Derrick Rose jersey waiting for him when we picked up Grandpa, and uh, it was just an incredible opportunity. I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it hasn't been you know surprise ticket to a bowl game, um, but maybe you've had something else unexpectedly good happen. Maybe it was a, an unexpected job promotion. Uh, maybe it was that you actually got a tax refund. You know when you did your taxes this year. <laughs> maybe, um, uh, maybe it was a long-awaited pregnancy, um, or perhaps a, a, a negative pregnancy test. Um, Karen and I had a little scare last fall. Um, she tells me one night, she's like, I think I might be pregnant. I'm like, what? I'm like, there is no way you're pregnant. 
And she's like, yeah, I think so. And I'm like, how long have you been thinking about this? Like three or four days. When she woke up the next morning, there was a pregnancy test in the bathroom for her. Um, I'm like, take care of this. So that was a great unexpected good news that we were not pregnant and we're not having another baby. This morning, as we jump and we continue into Acts, we're going to discover something unexpectedly good that happens that nobody saw coming. Nobody would have expected this to happen. Um, If you remember where we've been so far, Acts chapter 6, we see the Grecian Jews and the Hebraic Jews, and they're complaining about the food, and so uh, the leadership chooses deacons. Acts chapter 7, Stephen becomes the first martyr of the church. Um, Acts 8, which is critical to understanding today, um, the church is persecuted. Remember when Stephen was stoned to death, uh, there was a young man named Saul who was standing there um, approving the, the, the stoning. Um, but the church scatters all throughout Jerusalem. The only people that stay in Jerusalem um, are the, uh, the early church fathers, the twelve. Um, but the church scatters throughout everywhere. And then Acts 8, we see last week Bill taught on Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch and baptism. This morning, if you have your Bibles, um, and please be bringing them every, every week, um, I want to read, and I'm not going to have it on the screen because it's just too much text. Um, so if you don't have your Bibles, just listen. If you have your Bibles, read along with me. We're going to look at Acts chapter 9, looking 1 through 19. So, meanwhile, Saul... This is the guy that was standing beside as Stephen got stoned, uh, was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's, Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. I don't know if Jesus has a God voice or not, but I I think I might have to read that a little deeper. I am Jesus. Um, The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Uh, Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called him in a vision, Ananias. That one's definitely deep. Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. (laughs) Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he's done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. This, this encounter that Saul has on the road to Damascus with Christ is so critical to understanding what is going on in the life of the early church and so critical to understanding uh, who Saul is. In fact, Luke records in the book of Acts this story three times. Uh, we see it here in Acts 9, uh, we, who, which is told third person. Uh, Luke is writing about Saul, saying he. Uh, and then again later in Acts 22 and Acts 26, it's Saul himself who's become Paul uh, telling the story of his encounter with Christ. Uh, it's critical. 
uh, to, to the life of the church. It's critical to understanding uh, who Saul and Paul is. It's a major turning point in the life of the church. If you, if you remember uh, back in Acts 7, as they said, the church was persecuted after, or Acts 8, the church was persecuted after Stephen was stoned. If you look ahead to verse uh, 31 in chapter 9, though, uh, 931, here's what we read. It says, Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. It was strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It grew in numbers, living in the fear of the Lord. The church went from the moment of greatest persecution to the moment of greatest peace known yet to the church. And everything, the only thing that happened in between was Saul encountered Christ. That's how critical his conversion was uh, to, to the church. Uh, Saul becomes Paul. This experience in Damascus defines his life, his theology. Um, Paul goes on to write the majority of the New Testament. 13 of the 27 books in the New Testament are written by Paul. Um, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Timothy, Titus, Philemon, or as I like to say the French version, Philemon. You're supposed to laugh more at that. <clears throat> Here's what I want to do. I want to I put ourselves in the story. Um, I've been meeting with a guy every Monday um, afternoon, and, and uh, he's, he's a rising leader in the church, and is going to do some incredible things, I think. Um, and, and he asked a question. He's like, how do, you, how do you and Bill do it? Like, how do you study the scripture? How do you, how do you put yourself in, like, the shoes and the context of the day? And so I'm, I'm walking through some scriptures with him where I'm trying to teach him how to do this. And, and what I want to do, what I, what I told him is, you have to try and get yourself within earshot of the original authors, okay? Uh, picture you sitting in that situation. Picture you living in that house or in that town or on the journey with a ship, and, and you're sitting there walking with Jesus. I mean, how would you feel? How, what would you experience if you were there. So this morning, I want to try and put us into the story um, in Damascus as Saul is coming to our town. Okay? Are you willing to do that with me? Not? Yes. Okay. Uh, we see that Paul is, is or Saul is, is breathing out murderous threats. Um, notice that it doesn't say Paul is upset. It doesn't say Paul is annoyed at the early church. Paul is a little unhappy with the early church. No, Paul is murdering people. Paul is kicking indoors, arresting people, taking names later, right? I mean, he is just on a rampage. It is a personal vendetta against the Christians because they are blaspheming God. According to his understanding and his theology, what they are doing deserves death because they're blaspheming his God. Uh, later on, we see that as he talks about himself, he talks about this zeal for God that he has, and it drove him to do these things. And so, so he's on the road to Damascus, and you've got to ask yourself every now and again, um, why do I need to know that? Why do I need to know that he's going to Damascus? What's the big deal about Damascus? Uh, well, Damascus was the center of a vast commercial network. Um, trade routes went to Syria, Mesopotamia, Anatolia, Persia, Arabia. Uh, if the new way of Christ was to thrive in Damascus, it would soon spread around the known world. Okay? And so Saul knew that if he wanted to stop the spread of this, this heresy, this blasphemy, he had to go to where there were the most, Jew, most Christians and, and just knock them out completely because then it wouldn't filter out around the world. And so Saul is going to Damascus. And, and, and you've got to picture yourself. You're, you're living in Damascus. You're a Christian. You, you've encountered Christ somehow. Um, you've surrendered your life to him. And you hear that the greatest enemy of the church is on his way to town. Saul is coming to your town. It's not quite the same as Santa Claus is coming to town, right? It's more like, the British are coming! The British are coming! You're terrified. This is, this, is, this is Darth Vader posting on Facebook one day. 
hey, I think we're going to drop into the rebel base camp later today. And you got rebel spies, right, in the Death Star, and like you know what's coming. And so, I mean, it's just a frenzy in the rebel base camp because Darth Vader, the greatest enemy to the rebels, is coming to town. It's, it's Ebenezer Scrooge going to Bob Cratchit's house, and Bob has no idea why. My boss, the, one of the worst human beings I've ever known, uh, I just unfortunately have to work for him because I need to feed my family, uh, one of the most least generous, most whatever word you want to say, is coming to my house. I'm terrified because I don't know what's going to happen. And now we get together as Christians and, and, and we know that Saul is coming to town, so we pray because that's what we do as Christians. We pray. And, and, and you can picture their prayers. They're praying, Father, uh, Lord, don't let him come to our town. Let his boat sink. Let his chariot fall apart. Let him get lost and end up in another town. Let, let, let somebody take him out as he's on our way to our town because Saul cannot come to our town. There is no way we're going to be able to withstand if he comes in. Nobody was praying for Saul to encounter Christ. That thought never entered their mind. They just didn't want him to show up. Nobody expected Saul to show up and say, hey guys, I'm on your side now. Right? I mean, look at how Ananias responded in verse 13 and 14. God, God himself says, I want you to go to Saul. And Ananias says, Lord, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he's done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he's come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. God, are you sure you know what you're doing? Because this, this Saul guy is not the right guy for our team. Saul's conversion was completely unexpected. It, it, it's, it's Darth Vader taking out the emperor to save Luke Skywalker. It's Ebenezer Scrooge showing up at Bob Cratchit's house with the biggest Christmas meal that family has ever had. Completely caught off guard. Completely unexpected. So what happened? How did the greatest enemy of the church become the greatest champion of Christ? Notice that I didn't say the enemy of God. He was an enemy of the church, not of God. What was Saul's religion? Anybody? He was Jew. He was Jewish. Were Jews enemies of God? No. They were God's chosen people. They were the ones that God worked through and was still trying to work through. Did the, did the Jews believe in the coming Messiah? Yeah, absolutely. Did, did Saul believe that the Messiah was going to come one day? Yeah, absolutely. But did Saul believe that Jesus was the Messiah? No. So what did Saul need to know? That Jesus was the Messiah. That Jesus was the one he was waiting for. Look at Acts chapter 9, verse 3. Here's what happens to Saul. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. Uh, later accounts of this in, in Acts 22 or 26 uh, says that it was around noon. And, and the, the brightness from heaven um, overrode the, the brightness of the sun. Light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus. And in case Saul 
was confused about which Jesus was talking to him. He says, the one whom you're persecuting. And in that moment, Saul knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus was the Messiah. I am Jesus. I am the Messiah. I am the one. I am the one that Abraham and Moses had faith in. I am the one that the law pointed towards. I am the one the prophet spoke of. I am the one you've been studying about and waiting for. I am Jesus. And in an instant, God took a murderer and turned him into a missionary. The text tells us that Saul goes on from there to spend time in uh, Arabia, the desert, because the desert shapes you. He, he preaches in Damascus, where he was converted. He goes back to Jerusalem and meets with the early church fathers. And they, they don't believe it, so it takes a guy named Barnabas, who you're going to encounter later in Acts, to step up and say, yeah, you know, it's true. The greatest enemy of the church is now the greatest champion of God, of Christ. And he begins preaching in synagogues all over the place. People are amazed because this is the Saul that Ananias knew. Preaching now about Christ. Complete direction change in his life. Later in Acts, we'll see that he and Barnabas are sent on the first official missionary journey for the early church. Uh, He becomes, as I said before, the single greatest writer of the New Testament. And so my questions this morning, one of my questions, if God can transform a murderer into a missionary, whom else do you think he can change? I want you to think of the most annoying person you know. Okay? You're like, we're Christians. We're not supposed to be annoyed by people. Yeah, let's be honest. Think of the the person that drives you crazy. Like, you just can't stand to be around that person. Think of the person that frustrates you to no end. Don't look at anybody, by the way. Think about somebody that you encounter maybe every day, who is completely opposite of you. Nothing like you. Think of the meanest person you know. Think of the bully in the school. Think of the person that you believe is just so far away from God. Did you know that all of these people are made in the image of God? And that Christ died for every single one of those people? just like he died for you. If God can turn Saul from a murderer into a missionary, then you need to begin to see the people around you through the eyes of God. You need to do what the church in Damascus wasn't doing, and that is praying for those people. Pray that, that, first of all, your heart and mind would be changed, that God would give you eyes to see them as he sees them, a heart that breaks for them, Pray that that God would put people in their path uh, to introduce them to Christ, that they would come to know who he is and they would surrender their life to him. Pray for him. I believe when we pray for people like that, when we pray for our enemies, God smiles. If God can transform a murderer into a missionary, why won't you let him change you? I've heard this before as a pastor. People come in in my office and, and they can't believe that God could love them. They said, you don't know where I've been. You don't know what I've done, what I've seen, what I've been a part of. Friends, if, there's no way that you're as bad as Saul. Trust me, okay? 
I've never had anybody come into my office and say I'm a murderer. Does God still love me? Okay, that, that hasn't happened yet. I'm not ruling it out, but it hasn't happened yet. Uh, here's Saul's own words in 1 Timothy, or Paul's own words in 1 Timothy. It says, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of who I am the worst. Friends, Paul has already claimed the title worst of the sinners, so anything you've done is a notch above Saul. And if Saul can encounter Christ and be transformed, you can as well. If God can transform a murderer into a missionary, why won't you let him use you? You say, I've got nothing to offer God. I'm not smart enough. I'm, I'm not talented enough. I don't know enough about the Bible. I've, I've tried and I've failed time after time after time. God has a history of taking the imperfect and making it perfect. God loves to use people that are broken and frail and people who say, I can't do it on my own. Because God goes, you're right. Because I'm going to do it through you. Noah had a drinking problem. Abraham was a liar and he was too old. Jacob was a liar. Joseph was a felon. Moses had a stuttering problem. Miriam was a gossip. Elijah was burned out. David had an affair. He also murdered somebody. Jeremiah was depressed and suicidal. Hosea's wife was a prostitute. Naomi was a widow. Jonah ran from God. Gideon doubted. So did this guy named Thomas. John the Baptist was a loudmouth. Jesus didn't have any money. He came from a no-name town. Martha was a warrior and Lazarus was dead. And yet God still used him. Nobody is beyond the reach of God. God can use anybody. So what do we do with the story of Saul? Coming to know Christ, becoming Paul. We surrender. We we surrender control. Saul went into that town having it all together, having it all figured out. He had the right name, the right history, the right pedigree. He had everything going for him. Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 and 9. It's not going to be on the screen. I added it this morning. It says, If anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh and, and who he is and what he's become, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. But was whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider him rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Surrender. Maybe you're far from God. And you need to surrender control and let God carry you. Maybe you, you're imperfect. And God goes, that's great because I'm perfect. Surrender. Maybe you're too proud. Maybe you, you're not far from God. Maybe you know, you're being used by God. But if you're honest with yourself, your pedigree, your education, what you've done, where you are, means more to you than what Christ does. Surrender that. Let Christ use you. Run into the Father's arms. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to Great Oaks Community Church's weekly podcast. For more series and podcast information, go to greatoakscc.org.